Welcome to Northridge. Welcome Rochester campus. Uh, welcome those out in Webster and, and online. And when we say welcome home, um, our church means that. I'm a, a beneficiary of that and that to this day, 34 years ago, Northridge welcomed the Bames home. We moved here from almost from Jamestown, New York after almost a decade of ministry there. And um, 34 years to the day, it's hard to believe. Uh, some of you are saying, wow, we put up with you for a long time, Dave. I, I'm, reading, I'm reading some lips, you know, some things there, I get it. And um, I am so thankful that you entrusted to us for a, a big chunk of time student ministry and uh, we were able to uh, be involved with a great group of students over the course of many, many years and dragging them around wilderness trips and on mission trips and some of them actually turned out okay. And... Um, some of them are on our staff today. And that's a blessing in my life and a blessing in the life of our church. And thank you. There are some here that um, you have continued to pour into my life um, all of these years, and you still do it today as, uh, as some as people that I look up to. Your faithfulness, um, your faithfulness endures to all generations. And, and thank you for that. It's been great to be a part of that. Uh, Colossians... Uh, is a great book, a little book, and Nate Miller just did a great job getting us started last week, and a letter to the church, a personal letter, a letter about Christ, and, and today I want to focus on gospel perspective, on, on perspective, because you see, if our perspective is off, we're, we're skewed. We don't think right, we won't act right, and, and Paul brings us to the point in this letter, in this, in this chapter, really focusing on Jesus Christ and who he is, and, and perspective is important. I... Uh, Spent uh, my early days of, of life in New England, but now I've lived in New York most of my life. So to go back to once I left, once I finished high school, I left New England and really never returned. And so I'm, uh, I'm a Bills fan now. I've been in New York long enough, so some of you will really like that. I, I, the Patriots have won enough. Um, but I, I did not leave the Red Sox, so I, I, I have not gone over to the evil empire of the Yankees. And uh, sorry, I lost a few there. And I have kind of drifted away from NBA basketball. But my two sons, adult children now, they still like to watch the Celtics. So this year they said, Dad, you gotta, you gotta look at the Celtics. Like, I, I don't have time to follow every sport anymore, guys. And I just pick out a few college basketball and a couple other things. So they got me watching a couple playoff games. And I was more intrigued by the youngest coach in the NBA, Joe Missoula, who inherited this team this year. And the anticipation was that they would go all the way. And they got deep into the playoffs and they weren't doing so well. And they were down three games to zero in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Joe was getting a lot of pressure as the coach of a team that, you know, if you don't win it all, you're, you can lose your job, even if, you, even if you're a top four team. He was one loss away from elimination. He was asked about how do you block out all this criticism that's on you for not managing your timeouts well, not, not being a good locker room coach, losing control of your players, not making adjustments in the game? What do you do? How do you block that out? Joe brought some perspective to the situation. He responded, he said, honestly, I met three girls under the age of 21 with terminal cancer the other day. And I thought I was helping them and they were helping me. And so having an understanding about what life is really all about and watching a girl dying and smiling and enjoying her life, you always hear about people who give glory to God and they say thanks while holding a trophy high up over their heads. But you don't always hear it in times like this. So for me, in the middle of a 
championship series. It's an opportunity to just sit right where I am and to just be faithful. You see, Joe gained some perspective. I think his perspective probably impacted a group of athletes around him. In a, in a winner-take-all, and a winning-is-the-only-thing world of professional sports that we have in this country, he had to recenter himself and gain some perspective. And Paul in Colossians wants a group of believers in the first century church to not lose sight of what is most important in their lives. They have to keep perspective. And I, and I believe Paul... Paul didn't know this. He's writing, being led by the Spirit to this group of believers in kind of an out-of-the-way place in a, a town that their best days were behind them. And God knew, Paul didn't know, but a couple years after this letter, within two years, there's a terrible earthquake to that region and most of the town of Colossae is, is wiped out. And you wonder how many of those believers survived, those followers of Christ lived through that, how many of them were there and had to pick up the pieces and, and figure out, wow, Life is tough, and he's preparing them for things to come. Let me read, I'd like to, to, to read in Colossians 1, 15 to 23, if the Bibles are, are there, or on your device, you can look in Colossians 1, 15 to 23, and follow along with me. It's a big passage, but I think it's good for us just to let some of these verses soak into our lives as these verses point us to, to Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. That's us. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you, you and I, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Three aspects, three parts of that, that deep passage. I feel like there's probably enough for three or four messages right there. We have nine nine Sundays to go through Colossians and some pretty big portions of scripture. So I apologize ahead of time for perhaps not getting into some of these verses as much as, as perhaps we, we should or could. But we are to make much of Christ's position. Paul saw that this way. He said, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's not a statement that Jesus Christ was created. It's a statement of preeminence, of priority, of position in life. He is the one and only. See, if you want to know God, know Christ. Christ made the invisible visible. And so his role here, it's a rank of supremacy is that description that there should be nothing more important than Jesus Christ. And it's a concept here that goes back to the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament as well in those cultures that the firstborn in a family was the one that inherited. The firstborn was looked to as, okay, you're, you're now gonna be king. So that's the description of Christ. It's a position of honor. 
We're to make much of who Jesus Christ is because he is the supreme one. He is the preeminent. Then there's a second aspect here that comes through in a couple of these verses. We're to make much of Christ's power. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he holds all things together. You see, Jesus Christ holds the power of everything, the universe together. When you and I step back and notice the majesty of God on a summer evening, perhaps looking across the lake north toward Canada, and we see the sky filled with stars in the heavens, we know that's a reflection of the creation of God, of the power of Jesus Christ. We, we recently welcomed a another grandchild into the world just a couple days ago. And so we got the the picture of this little girl and I thought, whenever you see a baby and you realize, okay, that baby just came out of the mother's womb and that baby is fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a creation. Jesus Christ is the sustainer of that life. He's the sustainer of all of us, of even this messed up world that ultimately it's Jesus Christ who has the power. And those verses testify clearly to that. And Paul wants those Christ followers in that out-of-the-way church in Colossae not to forget that. You've got to have that perspective. Jesus Christ is the one holding everything together no matter how difficult it becomes. And then we're to make much of Christ's provision. Make much of Christ's provision. And his provision on the cross, let me read what's said in Colossians 18 to 20 again. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead and everything he might have, the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by doing what? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever we have a baptism, we hear a story of someone who realizes they were lost and dejected and rejected and without hope in this life, without hope for life beyond this life, and they realize that Jesus Christ took care of their sin once and for all on the cross, no matter how bad it was, no matter how alienated they felt from the God of the universe who loves them, they were reconciled to God, and Christ made that provision because came out of the grave. He went to the cross and died and had victory over death. He's the only one to do that and pay the penalty for my sin and your sin once and for all on the cross. And Paul wants those believers in Colossae not to forget these facts about Jesus Christ being supreme, being the ultimate, being the one with power, being the one who's provided a way on the cross. Do not forget that in your life, no matter what circumstances come your way. You see, it's easy to lose perspective. You can lose it sometimes just a little bit getting off track. You can lose it sometimes where you get some devastating news or some things happen in life that just knock you for a loop and knock you off your rails, so to speak. A couple weeks ago, I I got some news about a good friend, a partner in ministry. We served together and loved each other and saw God do amazing things, realized that for a period of time in his life, he made some pretty poor decisions and was not in public or was not in private what he was in public. I remember getting that news that day and I thought, 
That can't be. That can't be. And so, no, it, it is. This is true. This has happened. And it knocked me pretty hard. I think I was, the word is shaken. I don't want to say my soul was shaken. I wasn't fearful of, like I knew I would continue to walk with Christ. But here's what I said to myself. I said, I'm, I'm just done with people. You ever think, I'm done with people, all right? Well, that's a great thing to say on Sunday morning. The guy up front, he's done with me, yeah. How to, how to make friends and influence people. I'm done with you guys. I'm done with, I'm done with church. I'm done with organized religion. I, I could just go live in the woods and be really godly. And I said, man, I, I'm gonna find a house at the end of a dirt road in a red state with really low taxes, and it'll be great. I, I'll just really be able to follow Christ a lot better that way. I told another guy on staff, here's what I'm thinking. And he goes, oh, I'll go with you. <laughs> and I said, that's good, because I don't think my wife's going to go. So are you a good cook? And, and he said, yeah, because I said, diner food's going to get old really, really fast. Anyway, you kind of work through those things. And what brought me back to perspective was um, remembering what it's like when I'm an official at a track, I started officiating sports like over 40 years ago, and, and I've stayed with track and field and cross country, yeah, for over 40 years, back in Jamestown days in section six, and now here in Rochester, we're section five, and do high school and middle school and college meets. And this is what I learned. If you're gonna make the right call on the track, if you're the starter or you're the finish line guy, you better be standing in the right place. Because if that finish line is cutting right down the center right here, and I've got three guys running down the track this way and they're coming across almost dead even, and I've gotta pick out first, second, third like that with my one eyeball looking down that line, I can't be standing here. Because you can't tell. You can be two or three feet off and you're guessing. And if you're back on this side, it's the same thing. You gotta be front and center. Your perspective's got, if you watch the guy starting the meet and you're at a big meet, you see an assistant starter and he's standing right along that line and he's making sure all those fingers are behind the line. You can't have one little fingernail on the line or they have you stand up and hey, make your adjustment. That's gonna be a false start if you start with your finger on the line. But you've gotta be in the right place. You have to have the right perspective to see it. I think it's a big part of our life sometime in Christ. We have to have the right perspective, the gospel perspective. We can't forget that. And Paul, the next section in this chapter, Paul talks about that in his own life. It's almost part of his DNA now as he's come to Christ and, and he's following hard after Christ in the gospel. He has a gospel perspective in his life. And I'd like to read the next portion of scripture in the beginning of verse 23. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is a gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 24, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete or fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend, I struggle with all the energy so Christ so powerfully works in me. 
I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Paul understood his identity in Christ. He understood he saw himself as a servant. Two times he identifies himself as a servant. It's not a word we would use much today. It's a word that was used often in that culture of Paul's day because there were indentured servants. People put themselves underneath someone else to serve for a period of time so they could work off a debt or they were brought into captivity and they were servants by a conquering nation. Rome had servants everywhere. So it was common. And Paul could have identified himself as a scholar. He had all kinds of what we would say they would be advanced degrees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was brilliant. But he identifies himself as a servant of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because Paul understood gospel perspective in his life. And think about it. You and I, if someone comes across as a servant, we're attracted to that. If they're willing to serve, do anything, whatever needs to be done, we're like, wow, that person's humble. And God is attracted to a humble spirit and a kind heart and gentleness. Paul had a humbleness to himself because he was a servant. You ever meet someone that has this really, really high position and you find out about it and then you realize, wow. You meet people that are really arrogant and they wanna let you know that they have that position in life. And others that you realize what they do and you cannot believe that they're as humble as they are. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were officiating a junior Olympic track meet out at Roberts Wesleyan. And I was with this other official at the pole vault and he tells me right as the meet kid, he started, he goes, hey, he goes, this one girl doing the pole vault, um, her, um, her last name is Dorsey and her dad does something for the Bills. And I said, oh, I said, her dad, he's like the athletic coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, Ken Dorsey. I know who he is, and I go to pick him out of the crowd of parents. I see him out there. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. We got like a famous person here in the crowd. He's the one that tells Josh Allen when to run and when to throw. He probably tells him to throw and not run as much. He's like right under Sean McDermott. Wow, his daughter was really, really talented pole vault. It was like a, a private group of getting really, really good coaching in the pole vault. Our, our event ends after a couple hours. Parents come up and thank us for working with their kids and all, the, all that kind of stuff. And my, my, my official friend says, hey, um, can you guys, can a few parents, Dave and I could use some help. These 30 chairs need to go into that storage unit across the track. Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator for the Bills, two-time Heisman Trophy finalist in college, quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, leads the charge of hanging up chairs on a rack across the track in the storage closet. And I thought to myself, there's a guy, there's a guy I admire. There's a guy that has the right attitude. Probably sees himself, hey, I, I just, I'm just here to serve. I'm just a dad, I'm just a parent. I'm gonna put these chairs away. Paul understood the perspective, the identity of seeing himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And I think that's something I need to learn more and more. All of us can learn that in our life as we pursue a gospel perspective. And then Paul understood this other aspect too. He understood his purpose in Christ. He understood his purpose. He knew that he was here to move others forward on their spiritual journey. In those verses that I read earlier, we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone fully mature, complete in Christ. To this end, I labor. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul had a purpose in his life to keep on going, to move that church, those group of believers. He would never even get there to Colossae, but 
I gotta, I gotta keep them moving forward in their Christian journey and their maturity in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna do that with all I'm worth. And Paul knew he's writing this from jail. He's not sitting around in jail feeling sorry for himself or thinking like, man, I'm gonna wait till I get out of jail and do something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write letters now. And he had a sense, he knew, things were, he knew things were not going well in that culture and probably he was gonna lose his life eventually and he'd be martyred. He didn't know when or for sure, but he had a pretty good sense that day was coming. You see, Paul understood an illustration, I think, that I think we can all, all understand. And I'll use one more off, off the track. And forgive me if you're someone that doesn't like sports, but Paul, Paul used uh, track analogies all throughout his letters, so I'll use one more. I brought a message many years ago at a Christian school locally, and it was from Hebrews, and it was about running, running your race with patience and endurance. Um, and I help these kids understand, I help these kids understand that your life is kind of like a mile. The mile is four laps on the track, or 1,600 meters, it's 400 meters a lap. And if God gives us 80 years of life, which is kind of like what you get in the United States, we're supposed to live to about 80. If you're a female, you live a little longer. If you're a guy, you don't make 80. The average is because we don't know how to handle stress, they say. We never talk about stuff. So you maybe get 80 and divide it into four laps, zero to 20, you're a kid. And it's interesting that in this culture today, our kids aren't being told this message. Only at church and maybe in your home and a few other places, it's foolishness. The gospel is nowhere. our, Our faith has been ripped out of our culture. And so that first lap, you get off the starting line in that race as a kid, as a student, and you gotta make sure you understand what you believe and you got it into your heart and your life and your mind because it's not gonna get any easier after that first lap. I was in our student ministries, NYM group, a couple Wednesday nights ago for their, they were honoring their seniors. I thought, man, had a bunch of seniors that were leaving here solid in their faith at 18 years of age heading out ready to continue on the second lap of life. Tomorrow we begin camp better for third, fourth, fifth, and second, third, fourth, fifth grade or somewhere, upper elementary school kids here. And those kids are gonna have three days, three mornings of biblical worldview and what gospel is all about and how to live out their faith so they can run that first lap well. And you get to 20 in that 20 to 40 range, you're gonna make decisions about career, about college, you're gonna make decisions about family and marriage and where you're gonna live and what you're gonna do and all kinds of things. And you better make sure your faith is solid and you better lock arms with other Christ followers in that group so you're going the same direction on that second lap so you can pace each other and, and go forward. And a few weeks back, I, after the third service, there was a meeting going on across the hall right here and it was a group of our young adults, Noah and Paige Bixby and some of our staff and young adults, Gen Zers and millennials, I guess we call them. They're a lot younger than I am, that's all I know. And they're all going to Brighton. They're gonna start a church and they're figuring out how we're gonna do this and what we need to do. And and Noah's gonna pastor a church. He's a pastor of a Brighton campus that is still trying to exist and he left a well-paying job to do that. And the world would say that's foolish, but those guys are on their second lap in life and saying it's about the gospel is center right here and that's what I gotta pursue for lap two. 
And it's an encouragement to me to see that all over our church. It's just like, man, we can say millennials drive us crazy, but we love them. And we love the ones after them. They know what it's like to try to reach their peers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you get to be 40 to 60, it's that third lap on the track, it's the mile. It's before the the gun lap's gonna go off, before the bell lap is gonna go off. It's that third lap where it's really tough. In that age in life, you've got kids, you've got teenagers, you're thinking college, maybe your parents need help, your career's like taking off and you gotta figure out what promotion is next and everything hits the fan for those 20 years. And it's really easy to veer off and kind of disengage from church, leave Christ a little bit off to the side and not front and center, just get distracted with good stuff. But we need to renew in that third lap of life because it's tough and say, I gotta, I'm gonna get there. That bell lap is coming up pretty quick. And then you hit 60 and you're like me. You're on, I used to call it the last lap but the young staff said that was pretty depressing, you know? They're, they're all into that feeling stuff, you know? It's like, so I call it the bell lap now. 60 to 80, it's the bell lap. And you want to keep going because you want to finish strong. And around us at Northridge are a group of people on staff that have volunteered this chapter of their life to serve in staff positions because they've retired from other jobs and they come in and it's like their next full-time job because they want to finish well. I think all of us in that group of you heard the bell lap and you know, wow, I've got some life left in me. I want to finish this well for the sake of the gospel and for gospel perspective and serve well. And then you say, well, what happens when you hit 80? Well, after that, it's just, I call it the victory lap. You just put the U.S. flag around you like at the Olympics, you just, run, you just jog around and wave at people. <clears throat> no, you just kind of keep on going. And people cheer for you because they can't believe you're still going and doing something. And you're like, you're glad to be an encourager. And you know what happened to me when I lost perspective? I I had the job for a few days to call people who were 80 and older for the most part and give them some of this bad news that I had heard personally. So they just wouldn't hear it through the grapevine or an email. They had been here, many of them, at Northridge Church for 50 plus years and deserved a personal touch. And none of them lost perspective of the gospel. They spoke to me. They all said, Dave, we, thanks. That's a tragedy. I'm sorry. We need to pray. We need to pray for our staff. We need to pray for our pastor. We need to pray for that family. We need to pray. Every single one of them said, no, we just need, we need to be praying more. We need to realize that God's still in control and Jesus Christ is still on the throne and, and God's church will continue. Amen. I wasn't there yet. I needed to hear that, and they they taught me quite a bit that day or those two days. I trust that we can get a handle on gospel perspective in our lives, whatever lap you're on in life. And the illustration breaks down in this one point because a lot of illustrations do. If If I'm at a track meet and a runner steps off the track somewhere across the track and he tries to finish the race, he gets a DNF on his card. It's did not finish. But before God, before Jesus Christ, 
None of you here, none of us ever have to worry about that. We can get back on the track and we could finish because God's a God of grace and Jesus Christ took care of our sin on the cross once and for all. And you think, man, I've been off the track so long, Dave, I don't know where to start. You just begin, you just get back on and you get in a group and you get serving and you start being faithful at being here at church. And you say, I'm, I'm gonna get back in this race because I wanna finish well. So I'm coming up on the bell lap and I wanna kick it home for the glory of God. Let me pray. God, you're a good God. You love us. And help us all today just to look at our life from the perspective of the gospel, with gospel perspective front and center. Keep us from veering off, whether it's the little things or the big things. Help us, God, to have wisdom. Help us to seek out people who are wiser than us, further around the track than we are. Lord, help us to finish well the race of life. And I pray that today would be a day encouraging to those who maybe feel like, man, I'm not even in the race. Or might they find encouragement? Might they find home here at Northridge Church and begin that spiritual journey? We ask these things in Jesus' name.